Cold beer has become one hot topic in the Indiana General Assembly. Beer sales and the broader, always controversial subject of alcohol regulation weren't supposed to bubble up in this year's session, at least not to this extent. Everything changed, however, a few weeks ago when lawmakers learned that the Rickers convenience store chain had found a statutory loophole that enabled two of its 56 locations to sell cold beer for carryout, traditionally the purview of Indiana's packaged liquor stores. The upshot was the legislative equivalent of opening a beer that's been shaken vigorously. Everyone nearby got caught in the spray, figuratively speaking. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll explore whether the current debate over cold beer might, in time, fundamentally alter alcohol retailing in our state. We'll start with this legislative update from Drew Dodlin of WFYI Public Media. Debates over alcohol sales have become a staple at the Indiana State House. In this session, this issue became oddly specific. Cold beer carryout sales in Indiana are only supposed to happen in liquor stores and restaurants, but Rickers, a gas station and convenience store, found a way around that law by housing burrito stands in two of its locations. Lawmakers responded with a bill to fix the loophole. Here's Jay Ricker, the chairman of Ricker Oil Company, testifying to a House committee. I didn't expect the kind of blowback we got. You know, immediately we understand the liquor lobby went to legislators and complained that we were not following the law. That's why we had an attorney double-check, triple-check, make sure that we were doing things correctly, and the ATC said yes. Lawmakers trying to stop the sales became mired in unexpected complications after lobbyists argued the bill could impact permits at businesses like movie theaters, golf courses, and bowling alleys. Throughout the fight, Rickers has defended itself publicly, parking a burritoed food truck outside the statehouse and posting a message online saying, tell your legislator the liquor store lobby shouldn't shut down Rickers restaurants. Lobbyist for Big Red Liquors Matt Bell testified to the same House committee, saying gas stations have repeatedly tried and failed to sell cold beer. Clearly, they found another way to crack the nut, and that was by becoming a restaurant. But they didn't become a restaurant to become a restaurant. They could have done that. They became a restaurant to attain a permit to be able to sell beer and liquor, both for on-premise consumption and for carryout. An amendment to the bill says Rickers can continue selling cold beer until the end of the year. It also states retailers must make at least 30 percent of their sales from alcohol consumed on site to sell cold beer for carryout. Several lawmakers, as they have in years past, used the opportunity to stress the need for a complete overhaul of Indiana's alcohol laws. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Drew Doblin. Thanks, Drew. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researchers are at the top edge of computer technology, 3D design using hand gestures, extending mobile battery life, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. Over the past three months, we've tackled some pretty volatile topics on this program, from abortion, school prayer and taxes, to smokers' rights, handgun licensing, and, well, more taxes. My guess, though, is that this conversation on the regulation of alcohol retailing will be every bit as lively as those others, if not more so. Joining me to prove or disprove my humble prediction are Republican Representative Matt Lehman of Bern, the House Majority Floor Leader, Democratic Representative Terry Austin of Anderson, the House Minority Whip, 
Grant Monahan, longtime president of the Indiana Retail Council, and former state representative Matt Bell, a founding partner of the Catalyst Public Affairs Group. Thank you all for being here. Where were the mimosas you promised the, for this discussion? <laughs> but, well, maybe later. Matt Lehman, why do alcohol bills elicit so much uh, zeal, shall we say? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I, I would say this, it's probably because it's, it's, a, it's been for, since Prohibition, very heavy regulated industry. I think it's very popular among the, among the public. So we're finding that balance between a heavily regulated product and the consumption industry and what has simply changed over the years. It's a changing model. And I think you'll hear a lot of discussion today on that, that, that what we've built is a foundation off of that 1920s era law um, and since then, we've introduced, you know, you can go whatever, all kinds of directions, craft breweries, wineries, things like that. So it's just been an evolving industry and an evolving law that, that, as we've been talking the last several days, has become very difficult to hang more on. Craft distilleries, too, new, yeah. new thing, not just yeah. beer anymore. That's right. That's, You're right. I mean, you th share that assessment? I mean, why? It seems like there cannot be a discussion of any kind of alcohol regulation or any possible change either a tightening or loosening without the kind of friction that we often don't see with other issues. Well, I think, John, part of that is because, one, the market and the industry is changing, you know, daily. Every year, you know, there are new products introduced. Um, states are reacting. Consumers, I think, are driving more and more some of the decisions that get made. Um, and that's what I think some of the conflict comes from because we're representatives of our districts. We all have constituents that, you know, feel, you know, some of my strongest responses come from whether or not we have things like Sunday sales or, you know, where can they purchase alcohol, what, especially when you think about how society is changing and shopping habits are changing. Who would have thought you could have ordered your groceries online with a, and then pick them up with a click, you know, like you can today, or have them delivered to your house? And so those are the kinds of things I think we're struggling with. And the other thing is, in fairness to the industry, People have made hundreds of millions of dollars of investment under current regulatory frameworks that we have put in place. And to go and change those, it's like changing the dial. It has an impact on somebody else. And, you know, it all comes down to, what is it, money, love, or power. So that's where I think a lot of things really, where it starts to disintegrate. And would you say that you mentioned how involved and how passionate constituents are on this issue? Would you say this is even uh, more of a, um, elicits even more activity and more passion than, say, transportation issues or taxation in general? I mean, are you hearing people calling, writing, showing up at your proverbial doorstep? I mean, this is compared to some of the other issues we've dealt with this session. I would say yes. Um, some of my, I mean, I've gotten a lot of feedback, particularly over the issue with um, the new Rickers establishments. And it seems... Speaking of constituents, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so I think what has happened is people are starting to pay attention. I think a lot of that is people are just more engaged right now in general after the 2016 election. And so there's a level of interest of what's going on in government. I think before we've had some alcohol issues where nobody even really paid attention and didn't necessarily care. I'm guessing a few people here might have paid attention. <laughs> well, but maybe guys, you always have my attention, Representative <laughs> These guys, but the truth is most... Um, 
but now I think folks are more engaged, and they're more engaged for a variety of reasons. I think that's a good thing. So we need to we need to take a little time out and back up a little bit. I'm going to agree that markets are changing, and the way we go to markets are changing. They certainly have changed since the 30s. One thing has not changed. Alcohol is a drug. It is a regulated drug. It's legal and it's available to adults for consumption. But no matter how the how the way we interact with that has changed, the fundamental premise that alcohol is a drug has not. And that's why it's a regulated product. Alcohol and alcohol-related problems cost the state of Indiana a billion dollars a year in associated costs from health to lost productivity, absences from work. So we're not talking about baskets and we're not talking about toothpaste. We're talking about a substance that when it is used illegally or irresponsibly leads to devastating consequences for families, for individuals, for businesses, for communities. So markets change, but the fundamental fact that alcohol is a drug doesn't change. And we also need to remember when we talk about the broad interest and the, the outcry over this, half of the citizens of Indiana, half of the citizens of Indiana do not drink. This is not an issue that's talked about around living room tables in, in every corner of the state. You're talking about a subset of the population to begin with. And of that 50% that drink, the vast majority of those drink only occasionally at parties, at holidays, and things like that. So let's be honest about who this universe is. It's a much smaller universe than, than we described. If, if, those if, who are if, alcohol, just... if alcohol is such a serious scourge, then, then Matt Bell's client ought to do the right thing and close his stores because all he sells is alcohol. And we should back up. For those who haven't figured out yet what side of the issue you're on, your firm represents uh, big red liquor liquors. stores, big red liquors being the most noticeable, and you represent... Drug, grocery, uh, and convenience stores. Okay, now that we've set the stage, yeah. continue. So, so the liquor industry sells nothing but alcoholic beverages. So if, if alcoholic beverages are that much a threat to our society... Uh, then, then the, 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 the package liquor store industry ought to do the right thing. So if Grant's calling down. for a return to prohibition, I'm going to oppose that because <laughs> I don't think that that's the right thing to do. But to sell alcohol in the most controlled environment possible, where there isn't entry to minors, um, is the responsible way to distribute that product to adults in the state of Indiana. We take that responsibility incredibly seriously and strive every day to be the most responsible retailer of, al of alcohol in the state of Indiana. Well, yeah, package liquor stores are more likely to sell to minors than drug grocery or convenience. Which me, is absolutely This is going to be the okay, show I didn't have to do anything I could have phoned this one in. Yes. And then I know Matt wants to say something. But, you know, I, I hear the words control and responsible being used in the same um, sentence. And I'm not so sure they're the same thing, quite honestly. I think what we all want and can agree on is responsible alcohol sales. We right. want to minimize the likelihood that right. it's going to be available to minors. Although, if you read the statistics, kids who self-report on drinking at national surveys, 72% say, one, they don't pay for alcohol, and two, they get it from family and friends or they take it from their parents and family members at home. It's not necessarily the sales, although I think we all can find a way, a better way to do that. Mandatory carding, which we passed a few years ago, was one of the most effective tools. <laughs> it was but it was the one that the public had the biggest outcry about. And so I... I was only angry when they stopped carding me. Well, uh, but yeah, that's, that's Oh, trust me, I know the feeling. But I think those are the kinds of things we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, and as I would also say that as a woman who does the primary, the largest and probably only amount of grocery shopping in my family, I want to be able to, when I pick up my fruits and vegetables, my meats, whatever for the week, 
pick up a couple of bottles of wine or a six pack of beer for my husband. I don't think that um, necessarily puts anyone at risk. You've you mentioned a few of what I call the M's. You mentioned uh, minor consumption. You mentioned, um, um, we talk generally about morality. The other M's, as I, I might suggest, are market share and money, I guess those are yeah, I, I mean, I, So I, which, which do you think it's, is more at play here? Oh, I, I think they're all part of this, but I, I think you can just hear from the passion of, of, of Matt and of Grant that, that this is a very contentious issue at times. Um, I know we all have universal goals of, of the miners and things like that, but I've said this for years. A lot of this is, is, is a market share debate. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is, I don't know that the moral issue is maybe as strong as it used to be. Right. Um, Although it, it's still cited, during it's still cited. Debate, so it's still it's cited in debate. Not, I think to, to Matt's point, fifty percent, fifty percent in the end do not drink. That, 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 that's true. Uh, and, and among that fifty percent, this is this is that's where the moral issue. That's that M. But I think the M for everything below that is market share. Uh, and and you, you heard it when we debated Sunday sales. You heard it when we debated. Uh, you know, how liquor should be distributed in, 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 in retail stores. You know, we had a bill several years ago, Grant, about, about putting them behind the counter. Yep. Uh, if you remember, the, the whole reason that retailers have alcohol, hard spirits, is because they have a pharmacy. Um, now, I, I will say this. I, I've not gone into a, a Meyer or, or a Walmart or even a, a CVS where the liquor is near the pharmacy. That's right. You know, and so I, I, I'm not advocating one or the other. I'm just saying we, th- this has changed, and what's created is, and, and I'll go back to kind of the, the issue we've talked about in the General Assembly the last several years, has been we talk about this rewrite of 7.1. It, it, it Which goes, is the title that deals it, with title alcohol. alcohol yeah. Title 7.1. And it goes way beyond, in my opinion, just who sells what to whom. Right. It's the regulatory system of the ATC. It's the permitting process through the ATC, and that's what brought the Rickers issue to, to, to the forefront is, you know, people said it was a loophole. I don't think it was a loophole. I, I think what it was is it was it was finding within the code a place to land. land, and I think what it did, in my opinion, was it just usurped the legislative process. And Clearly. so that's not, the General Assembly said, we will decide, and we've had testimony, years of testimony, on where we should sell cold beer. And the General Assembly pretty much was firm it will not be sold in a convenience store. So that was the intent of the General Assembly. And, and, and the code, if we look at the restaurant definition, yes, they met that. But did they meet the character language? That's all in 7.1. And so I think you have to rebuild that foundation. Uh, we're, we're hanging all this new law and all these innovative things on, an, on a very antiquated foundation. If you don't change that foundation, you're going to continue to hang things, and it's going to break. And I think maybe the Rickers issue is what's breaking 7.1 well, to a point it has to be re- the redone. The person you're sitting next to here, Grant Monahan, has been involved in or has led what any number of initiatives, uh, Beverage Choice Alliance. I may right. have some of the uh, the right. names, the monikers wrong. You know, you've seen court challenges. We've seen legislative attempts to enact legislation that would be more favorable to your clients, and yet it never seems to go. I mean, what would it take for there to be the kind of change that seemingly depending on who you listen to, the marketplace is demanding in terms of convenience. Well, I think the change will come in part thanks to these two good legislators who see this controversy year in and year out, who who are just tired of it, uh, who want to see uh, everyone finally come to the table and seriously address uh, the con- these concerns. And 
it's going to be difficult. And I'll be honest with you, it's people like Matt and I that make it worse, make it harder for that to happen. And I'll take my share of the blame. But there's a lot of blame to go around. Um, but it, it, that conversation should take place. I know uh, Representative Lehman is very much in favor of, of study committees to look at this and, and to take it seriously. And um, I hope that that happens again this summer. Uh, I hope it's, if it takes multi-summers to get it done, let's do it. But uh, that conversation needs to take place because Representative Austin's right. The marketplace is changing. The consumer is changing, and Indiana's law is not kept up. Matt Bell, are you willing to take some blame now, or as, uh, as your, your uh, friend here has suggested, that there's something wrong and you guys are partially to blame? Well, it certainly won't be the first thing I've done wrong today, so um, uh, I'm, I'm on a roll as it goes. Uh, but I'm really, really pleased to hear Grant talk about wanting to engage in a comprehensive conversation because that's what Big Red has asked for from the legislature for the last three years. When we talked about Sunday sales, um, we were the first liquor store to step forward and say, let's talk about Sunday, but let's make that a conversation about the way we sell alcohol, not one day a week, but seven days a week. So you, and Matt, your I client think, would be, and, and Matt, I think you'll recall, industry, would be open to, to looking at everything, because traditionally that's a departure from what many in the packaged liquor industry have said. You know, we have additional training requirements. We have, uh, you know, we have hoops we jump through. We pay more money for licensing and permitting. We are, we welcome a comprehensive conversation about the conditions under which we serve alcohol. You know, Representative Lehman will remember um, that we've come forward and said, and, and we've put several proposals on the table that don't maintain status quo, but that help to modernize those. It was three years ago, the retailers said there is no way we could put liquor behind a counter. It's going to cost us tens of millions of dollars to put in counters to put liquor behind in the state of Indiana. Somehow Jay Ricker figured out how to do it for just a couple of thousand. So It wasn't just behind counters. The one proposal, wasn't it basically having a partition the cordoned off area that that, would, that's been proposed at times too but most recently two years ago it was hey no self-serve it's behind a counter retailer said there's no way we can do that jay has apparently found a way to do that um with his got to keep in mind that, that jay's two stores are restaurants uh where people are not used to self-service right i represent retailers where the customer is very used to and comfortable and expects to be able to do self-service, to pull that product off the shelf and put it in her car. How is it that when this first came to the attention of lawmakers, that Jay Ricker's uh, exception, loophole, smart move, whatever you want to label it. Slick lawyering. Slick lawyering, all right. Boy, he's making friends everywhere today. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's a compliment, he's on though. A roll. You know, uh, everybody, there, there was this, you know, we got to change this at once. Everybody's rushing to not only, you know, stamp out further competition, but actually maybe even yank the licenses in the, in the initial hours and the sort of the frenzy that followed, maybe take away the licenses that had been issued. And then, I don't know if it's because the governor said nothing untoward happened or whatever, but now, again, nothing is final until it's final, but now we're looking more at studying, we're looking more at maybe a moratorium on, on new licenses at this time, but, it, but in all likelihood, Jay Ricker will keep his two existing permits. What's as, the change? Is as it? he should. And let me let me clear up something because I think there's a misperception out there that all of a sudden, you know, the ATC went off the ranch and Jay Ricker was successful in getting two restaurant permits located within his convenience store. He's not the first. There are other installations across the state that have been doing this, quite honestly, for half years. dozen or so? I mean, there's not many, right? My count says five, but I don't think we've really taken a deep dive on it. And so he just happens to be a victim of his own 
branding, I think, because it's yeah. certainly the most noteworthy uh, name that you recognize or brand. And so, you know, the, the two uh, little mom and pops outside of Terre Haute, the one outside of Evansville, and I suspect there are some others scattered around the state where they actually have a restaurant permit within the convenience store. Part of this is geography, too, John. you got to stop and think about we all represent a mix of urban, rural, and suburban areas, and some of them are really even remote. In a little town of 500 people to 1,000, the convenience store is the grocery store, and that's been, I think, very clear. And it's hard for some of us to step out of our respective districts and think about what life is like for some of those folks in other parts of the state. Well, it's you a know, bigger John, issue for, for lawmakers who represent border uh, counties, too, oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's well, I'm, I'm absolutely. in both those. My, my district, yeah. the largest community in my district is 6,000 people. 7, and you're convinced people are going to get And I am, I am six miles line. in the Ohio line. I live six miles in the Ohio line. So it, 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 there are things we have to look at when it comes yeah. to that, because I, I do think uh, the small towns, a lot of small towns may don't have a liquor store. Right. Uh, but, and can't but the get same, one if they're not incorporated. Yeah, but at the same time, th th there's, th there's a lot of inequity within the com competitive nature. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how is it? I mean, you mentioned another, the surrounding states uh, do this, and gold beer is available, Sunday <laughs> sales are available. What's Indiana's? Well, again, I don't want to ask a loaded question. I was going to say problem, but maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's a, an advantage. But why are we different? How about that for neutral? Because at the repeal of prohibition, the federal government wisely, for one of the few times, um, said we're going to put the power to regulate alcohol with the individual states. And we're going to allow them to say what are the social norms in our state and how will you... But we're still an outlier, and I guess. There are 31 states who restrict the sale of liquor um, from grocery stores, from convenience stores, from package stores. We're an outlier in many ways. Alcohol is available 69% of the hours in a week in the state of Indiana. 69% of the hours in the week we can buy alcohol legally in the state of Indiana at great retailers like grants, at restaurants, at bars, etc. Does there need to be a limit to that number at some point? I believe there does. I believe that, that, that given the consequences of this, of, of this substance being abused or used irresponsibly, we're right as a state to say we're going to think about how, when, and where we, we distribute it. But I mean, what, is this as simple as saying, okay, if your clients can sell pop and water and all the mixes that currently they can't sell cold or, uh, you know, that they, the same training requirements would apply to the big box retailers or to the convenience stores? I mean, is that the kind of comprehensive reform you're talking about? No, I think, so we, need, I think, I think okay. we need to go well beyond that. Okay. And, and to be honest, I mean, we, we've not sought the opportunity to sell commodities other than those that we have. That takes a, a great retail skill set, and, and Grant represents some of the finest retailers in the world who are great at selling those food products. Um, our business is far more specialized. We understand the alcohol industry, and, and, and that's the business that we want to be in. Where does this end up? I mean, Grant, what do you want to see? I mean, if you could, you've been, as I say, involved in a lot of initiatives, a yeah. lot of public-based alliances and uh, consortiums that have tried to push this. Give me, in 30 seconds, what your perfect, what's nirvana for you? Uh, Sunday sales, cold beer sales at drug grocery and convenience stores. Uh, the legislature leveling the playing field as much as humanly possible to eliminate the, the uh the commodity restriction that liquor stores have to permit minors with parents or guardians to walk into a liquor store. There's, a, there's so many different things that we can do, and I think we need to really step back. Uh, the Rickers thing has been fascinating this session, mm -hmm. sad and fascinating at the same time. Here is Ricker, who followed the law, who went through two local boards who approved those two permits. The ATC approved those permits. 
But suddenly when, uh, when the liquor store industry found out about it, what did they do? Did they challenge that innovation with their own innovation? No, they ran to the legislature. That was where their, their solution to everything is to go to government and, and ask government to punish their competition. Seems appropriate. And that, 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 has make to, policy, that has quite to, frankly. that kind of attitude has got and to let's, stop. And, and then let's stop. John, let, let's, John, this tells us we have our work cut out for us. Let's, let's, it, it let's does. And now I'm, especially this since I'm getting a, a rap cue that we've already used up our time. This is why you have the problems that you have. Every year, every year, in the 15 years I've been there, there's been a new set of alcohol laws requested, whether it's exceptions or extensions or, you know, a change for this or that, the growth of microbreweries. We have put together in 7.1 a patchwork of policies, and it has impacted market share in a lot of ways. You all have proved me right. i got to cut you off. I'm sorry. Even though you only use up 69% of the sales time, we used up 100% of our allotted time here, and we still only got that deep into an issue that obviously elicits a lot of emotion. I thank you for being here for this uh, lively discussion. Proved me right. Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Matt Lehman of Byrne, Democratic Representative Terry Austin of Anderson, Grant Monahan of the Indiana Retail Council, and Matt Bell of the Catalyst Public Affairs Group. The hardest part of passing a budget? Getting the opposing sides to budge. How the state will spend your money on the next Indiana lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, we didn't see this issue. This was going to be a year without alcohol reform, and boom, it comes barreling down the, the track. How do we get to this point? Well, obviously, there was the Rickers issue, and, and a lot of people are calling it a loophole. You know, when, when the Speaker of the House has to, to say, well, we're going to change the law to what the law really is, I think you, you realize that there's a little bit more going on there than, than just the, the loophole business. This went through the Alcohol and Tobacco Commission, and a little bit of background on that. During the Daniels administration, there was an attempt by the governor's office to kind of move them toward changing some of the policy. And that ended up in court, and we saw some emails that showed the influence of the governor's office in that. Pence administration came in. They had an opportunity to fill a vacancy in the chair and vice chair. They decidedly went for people who had been judges because they did not want them making policy. They wanted them interpreting the law as the law was written. They didn't want them going beyond that. And That's the what judge, the ATC said it did in this instance, right? Absolutely. I mean, and what Governor Holcomb says that the ATC did, and it wasn't even his ATC, it was basically the, the Pence and Daniels uh, people that had been appointed. And they said it was okay for Rickers as a restaurant to do this. Now, you know, you start talking about loopholes. Well, you know, maybe the next thing is for some grocery store to go and, and, and say, well, we're going to put our warm beer in the frozen food aisle and we're going to open the frozen food cases and we're going to turn down the temperature in that section of the store by 30 degrees and you know maybe that's the next loophole who knows you're not going into the grocery business are you i, I think you've been thinking this through is that does that explain then what you just told us how it went from this storm the bastille kind of approach we're going to you know shut down rickers not the, all of it but yank their licenses to now and yeah, they'll be grandfathered in all likelihood, and we'll study it. I mean, well, there, there's really not much you can do when they did things legally and they did things the right way, and and they worked the system and they they got it through. What you're going to see is some kind of study committee, whether it's the the two and a half months that uh, that Representative Austin is the longest serving member of the House Committee on, on Public Policy is is favoring, or perhaps a two year, um, mostly legislative, and and let's kind of keep the industry a little bit out of it 
kind of study that Representative Lehman favors, that, that we'll see in, in the next week and a half. Well, if the roundtable was an indication, I think they could fill two years and then some. So, Ed, thank you as always. Appreciate your insight. For more information, episode streams, and other extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Drew Dodlin, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more Statehouse coverage. Until next week, take care. Purdue researchers are finding new ways to treat cancer, provide drug-free therapies, advance wound repairs, reduce chronic illness symptoms, helping people, changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.